Hello, and welcome to the Numlock Sunday edition. Uh, my guest this week is Abraham Reisman. He is the author of the brand new book, True Believer, The Rise and Fall of Stan Lee. Uh, Abraham, how are you doing? Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Totally. Uh, so the book is out. You've been working on this for quite a while at this point. It was delayed back in September. Uh, it's all about one of these people who have become a very central figure in modern American pop culture, Stanley. I guess what got you interested in him as a as an individual? Oh, geez, uh, what got him interested? Got me interested in him. I guess you have to go a long ways back for the beginnings of it. In that I, um, you know, I grew up reading comics uh, and being interested in Marvel. I think I first became aware of Stanley when I was very young, watching the now mostly forgotten uh, Marvel Action Hour co- uh, cartoon show. Um, and uh, he used to introduce the the, the animated uh, segments there. And uh, basically, he remained this figure in the background of my life in the way that he's been in the background of uh, the lives of countless people who have engaged with Marvel superhero products. And, you know, long story short, in 2015... Um, I started writing a profile of Stan for my then place of employment, uh, New York Magazine. And uh, it came out in 2016. And then in 2018, when Stan passed away, um, an editor at Penguin Random House who had read the 2016 profile uh, approached me about writing a full biography. And that's sort of where it began. Yeah, he's interesting because, again, he had, you know, a fairly seminal role at a very company that has become incredibly central to American pop culture. But he he himself has appeared in a lot of these entities. I guess, uh, how did you kind of get at the question of, like, who is Stan Lee in terms of both the public and a private and an individual person? Well, that's uh, that's the big question, isn't it? Um, You know, I... I tried to base it on as much evidentiary stuff as I could, as opposed to surmise and opinion. So I did more than 150 interviews. I went through thousands and thousands of pages of his uh, personal and professional documents, which were um, mostly uh, those were ones that I got from the University of Wyoming, their American Heritage Center, which is where Stan's papers and other archival materials are stored. Long story about why it's in the middle of nowhere in Wyoming. But um, uh, yeah, I and then I watched also while I was there, in addition to uh, reading through documents, I also watched a bunch of home movies, which there was kind of this holy grail moment of in the last day I was at the archives. I only had five days there. Um, I found this box among the almost 200 boxes of, of materials there that was just a bunch of unlabeled home movies. And Whoa. I started popping them in the little VCR they had at the at the the reading room and was just blown away by the fact that right under my nose, there had been all this stuff that the Lee family either advertently or inadvertently had left behind for posterity. And so, you know, you take that 
uh, you take the documentation, you take the interviews, you take the comics. I mean, you just sort of throw everything in a blender and try to sort it out in your brain and then put it on paper. You know, I mean, there's, there's no magic recipe to it. You just have to engage with the source material and then see if you can craft something from it. It's fascinating because again, this is a individual around whom like a couple of major corporations have attempted to construct a mythology. Yes. Uh, a lot of your reporting, whether it was in that feature from a few years back or or in the book itself, it's it's kind of like not poking holes, but like really saying a lot of what we kind of held up to be the myth of Stan Lee isn't necessarily as black and white as it might appear. Do you want to go into some of what you found? Sure. In that? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot that Stan was less than truthful about. A lot of things he just sort of outright lied about and then other things where there were sins of omission or uh, misdirection. And the the big thing that matters when it comes to talking about Stan's um, dissembling is, well, there's a lot of things that matter with that. Um, but the big one, as you mentioned, is the sort of corporate claim on Stan and the characters that Stan was credited with creating. Um, you know, what my research turned up was there's literally no evidence Stan created any of those characters. There's none. Really? No, there's none. There's nothing. There's no presentation boards. There's no diary entries. There's no contemporaneous accounts from friends saying Stan was working on this and told me about it. And then he created it. Nothing. There's, there's no, it, it was a fly by night industry. So there wasn't a whole lot of documentation of anything to be fair, but there's significant evidence that, um, you know, it doesn't prove, I don't have a smoking gun, but there's significant evidence or at least testimony that goes against Stan's word and says that uh, one of his main collaborators, Jack Kirby, was the guy who came up with almost all of those characters. Um, Jack was also an artist, so uh, he, according to him and his defenders, um, you know, created the whole char characters from whole cloth, whereas Stan, you know, at best can only claim to have come up with the idea. He was not an artist, so he didn't come up with the visual look of these characters. So... Yeah, I, it's it's a sticky thing because, again, you're not going to find a smoking gun. There really was just terrible documentation and a complete lack of um, – not complete lack, but a large lack of professionalism at comics companies circa the 1960s. These were not the glossy corporate entities that they are now. I mean, it certainly was not – Marvel was not a Disney subsidiary as it is now back in 1961. So we don't really know who created those characters, but what I wanted to do in the book was just say the fact, which is we don't know that it was Stan. We've just taken it for granted that Stan was probably the create, not just probably, he's always presented to us factually as the progenitor of these characters. I mean, usually at best, you'll get people saying, and Jack was the co-creator. Yeah. Know, Jack did it with Stan. Now that may be the case, but we don't know that. We can't say that with any kind of certainty. We, it may well be that Jack was the only one who was actually coming up with these characters and that he was doing them from whole cloth. Um, and, you know, that's not even getting into the stuff that Stan more transparently lied about when it comes to crediting his collaborators for the actual comics they made. He was not, it, it's a long, complicated thing, but basically the process by which the classic Marvel stories were created was not Stan sits down and writes a script and then hands the script to the artist to draw. Stan was not writing scripts. He was having brief conversations 
with the artists who would then go home and write the story. So really they were writer artists. They would go home and just draw out the entirety of the narrative that they were working on in the comic, add in little notes sometimes in the margins about what dialogue should go in there. And then they would hand this completed story or more or less completed story to Stan who would then add in dialogue and narration. Now the dialogue and narration were very important. I don't want to discount that. And he also wrote the letters columns in the back, which were enormously influential and helped create the Marvel phenomenon. But we, he wasn't crediting his artists as co-writers, which they were. You, you can even argue yeah. that they were the primary writers, since they're the ones who were actually coming up with the structure of the narrative. But anyway, I could go on and on like this, but that's just one area in which I wanted to cast some light on the disputes and sort of force people to live with the ambiguity, which no one likes, of not knowing who actually is responsible for these things that are so enormously popular and, and popular and uh, prominent. It's so, it's so like, we always talk about people who were ahead of their time. And oftentimes that's in, indicated as like a very un, unambiguously positive statement, but like the idea of a person who is a brand creator, who is directing yeah. a legion, like it, that seems a l fairly prescient for a couple of reasons. And it's not the first time that like, again, not necessarily negatively, not necessarily positively, but like somebody has been able to float to vast cultural influence through basically brand definition and steering. Again, I'm just kind of sounding yeah. that out, but no, no, does that resonate? You're exactly right. I mean, Stan was in a time when we didn't talk about branding the way we talk about it now or being an influencer or, you know, any number of poppy terms that we use to describe the present day media landscape. He really was an influencer and a brand himself. Um, and he, his his personal brand and the brand of Marvel were intimately intertwined. And he was so good at promotion. Like, there are very few people in the history of American life who have sold uh, better and at a higher profile than Stan Lee. And um, that's huge. I mean, Jack was, may have been the person coming up with the characters, possibly, but Jack was a terrible salesman uh, in terms of public relations and advertising and slogans and all that. That was not something he was good at or enjoyed. Um Whereas Stan, that was what he lived for. He loved being a rock hunter. He loved creating a fan base. He loved all of that. And without him, I don't think we would have the Marvel phenomenon. Even if the creative material had been in there, it wouldn't have become this, again, to use a modern term to describe something not so modern, it wouldn't have gone viral in the way that it did. Um, and, you know, he was ahead of his time. I find myself as I promote this book often looking in the mirror and thinking, well, I, I've become my subject. I mean, there, there's so much in just the modern publishing landscape that requires you to be a Stan Lee if you want to succeed. I mean, it's, it's all about individual hustle and getting your name out there and other things that I guess, you know, I wasn't alive in the 60s, but I don't presume were talked about in quite the same way that they are now. And they were skills that Stan had that, if anything, in the 60s were kind of maligned. I mean, that was back when the biggest object of, of joking that you could put into a satirical pop culture thing was about ad men. I mean, that was one of the reasons <laughs> that ad men was, was the show that it was, was because it was set during a time when being in advertising was this kind of 
in a lot of ways, it was like having a tech gig now in that there was good money to be made. It was very much, you know, it was a hotly discussed industry. It was all based on bluster, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, at the time you could, you could really make fun of somebody for being a big promoter and advertiser, but Stan was really good at it. And now it's something we look at with a great deal of admiration, or at least grudging admiration, <laughs> when people can pull that off. And and Stan really did. Yeah, I think it's like, again, because you have, uh, again, I always like, partially because they're both owned by Disney now, but like, you have a guy like Jim Henson, who was very much in the trenches of making the art that he was promoting pretty consistently. And then again, as you kind of go into in the book and as you go into just in general on on this guy, like Stan really was a little bit more hands-off than I think people tend to think when it comes to essentiality in the world. Yes, he was, he was, he was hands-off in in a lot of ways. Sorry, what did you say? Hands-off in which regard? Oh, just, just as, as it comes to the actual crafting of the mechanics of the world. Like, like, Like Henson's designing Muppets, whereas again, like it seems again, Lee was very much just kind of deferring, for the to, most to, part, yeah, I mean, again, we don't know because we can't go back in time and figure out exactly who said what in inside a closed room. We'll never know for certain, but even when it comes to creating individual comics as opposed to just creating the characters, um, yeah, he 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 was relatively hands off when it came to an in, came to an individual comic because he wasn't writing a full script. He was not being the auteur of these comics. He was saying, "Okay, here are some ideas," um, and then people would go and run with them. And a lot of the time, it wasn't even here are some ideas, go run with it. It was the the artist, the writer artist, would come to him and say, "We're going to do this." And Stan would maybe have some tweaks, but would largely just say, "Okay," and then the artist, writer artist, would go home and do that. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not exactly like you say, it's not like Jim, Jim Henson going and, and tinkering away with, with, um, his characters. It's, it's much more of an ambiguous and, um, distant creative role that he had. Over the course of Marvel's history, obviously the company, had I think like some of the most tumultuous possible business situations through the eighties and nineties oh, and two yeah. thousands. Um, do you, what, what of Steve, uh, Stanley's obviously later life and, and kind of pops culture ascendance, uh, do you track in the book? Uh, all of it. I mean, there's, there's nothing that was off limits for this book. It's, it's, you know, his, the full arc of his life to the best of my ability. I mean, you know, I tried to keep it short. It's not a Robert Caro. Um, but, you know, it, it, um, I talk a lot about what happened later because I think that that's the most interesting stuff, to be honest. Uh, you know, I think we're pretty well covered, not as well as we should be, but prior to the release of my book, we were pretty well covered in terms of stories about Stan's life and work in the 60s. Well, at least his work uh, in the 60s. People have written about that stuff pretty extensively. Now, I have things to add to the 60s narrative that hadn't been there before. But comparatively, not that much because it's been so heavily excavated. But when it comes to things that happened to Stan from 1971 onward, basically no one had written in depth about any of that. There have been some attempts at it. Um, the comics journalist Tom Spurgeon and his uh, collaborator Jordan Raphael, who is now a lawyer, um, wrote a book together, uh, bi- the first biography of Stan, um, in, uh, the early aughts. 
And it had a lot of really good stuff, but it too was heavy on the 60s and some of the 70s and then kind of drops off. Um, And I just felt like, well, there's got to be something in there. And turns out, I think that's where the whole story was. That's where you see the vast majority of what Stan's life was like, both in terms of just the numbers of years. I mean, he was alive for much longer than that one decade of the 1960s. Um, but also because that's where you started to really see what fame and success and money did to Stan. And, you know, what was it? Well, a lot of things, but one was he wanted more. Um, he, he was never satisfied. He, he didn't like comics particularly. He didn't like superheroes particularly. I mean, I, I, he, he said that on the record. That's not me in inferring. It's just people don't pay attention to when he said that because he would also talk out of the other side of his mouth and say he loved the medium and he loved the genre. But evidence points toward that not really being the case. Every time he tried to break out of comics, which was basically every day of his life since he got back from World War II and went back to his comics job that he'd left to go be in the service, um, every time he was trying to escape comics, it was never to make more comics. You know, it was never, I want to go do superhero stories in another medium either. It was, I want to go make movies and I want to be taken seriously as a novelist or as any number of other things that are not comic book writer. So, you know, later in life, once he had the taste of fame that he got from his work in the sixties, he just spent the rest of his life from 1971 until 2018, just trying to be something else. And that led to a lot of disastrous incidents. I mean, I, I trace the history of his two post-Marvel companies. This first one was a dot-com bubble era company called Stanley Media. And the other one is one that still exists now as a subsidiary of this big Chinese conglomerate, um, but it's, it's called uh, POW Entertainment. And both of them were accused of enormous criminal, uh, or at least unlawful, malfeasance um, of bilking investors and, you know, juicing a stock and all kinds of stuff. Um, And no one had talked about that. No one had looked at that. And yet that's where stands true colors in a lot of ways. I don't want to say always, but where a lot of his professional true colors came through, where he, he wanted to have money. He wanted to be famous. He wanted to break out of just being thought of as the Marvel guy. Um, and it never happened. I mean, he, 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 in the end, around the end of his life or by the end of his life, I should say he was world famous for being the Marvel guy, but he was not world famous for anything else. I mean, no one talks about strip, you know, like the great triumph that was Stan Lee's stripperella or like Stan Re, you know, the, the mighty seven or, or, you know, uh, Stan Lee's superhero Christmas, you know, all of these silly sort of tossed off things that didn't really go anywhere. No one talks about them. They just talk about the work he did in the sixties. And that's, that's something that Stan found very frustrating. He wanted to be known for more. Yeah. It's again, it's an incredibly powerful story and it's so deeply reported. It's gotten a lot of love from folks within the comics industry, many of whom have kind of seen this, but have not seemed to have a chance to really see like the real situation kind of laid out. I suppose kind of, coming to the end, what do you think your main takeaways about this are? What do you think the main difficulties are? Um, and then and where, where do you think this uh, kind of goes? Well, next? I don't know. I'd love to see what people have to say about it. You know, um, 
I, I, I've been very gratified to get some, some nice responses so far. Um, but I want this to be something that opens up discussion, not just about, I mean, this is all sort of highfalutin. I don't know if any of this will happen, but I would love for this to be the beginning of a discussion about, you know, the great man theory of business. I I just, I hate it. (laughs) I hate this idea that at least in America, I don't know if this is true elsewhere, but at least in America, this fixation we have on having singular geniuses who are responsible for the products that we like. You know, we want there to be an intimate one-to-one relationship between us and the creator. You know, if you want to get really heady about it, you can talk about it in religious terms. You know, maybe we we want to feel like we have a relationship with one who creates, with one who has this sort of godlike ability to make something out of nothing. And that leads us down dangerous paths because A, we start voiding the truth. We're not looking for the actual ways in which something does get created. And the other way, the other problem is we, you know, then throw under the bus all of the many people who are not the one great man, um, who are in some part or sometimes in most part um, responsible for creating the thing. So I would hope that if there's a lesson to this book, it's question what you're told about people and especially what people tell them about yourself, tell you about themselves. Um, You know, people have regurgitated Stan's version of events for more than a half a century now. Um, We just have widely taken this one man's word um, as gospel. And I guess that's the other thing it's tied into the first thing, but I would love for this to be something that prompts journalists and historians to think more carefully about who they believe, because oftentimes we just go with whoever the most charismatic and nice seeming person is and say, well, their version of events is probably true. And then we sort of print it uncritically. And I get it. I'm a journalist. A lot of times you don't have enough information to be able to make uh, a claim that, you know, something is one way or another. But that shouldn't be an excuse to do a shoddy job of describing what you know or acting like you know something that you don't know for certain. So I guess that's the last thing. I I would like for this book to be something that encourages us to live with the awful agony of ambiguity. We're we're not necessarily going to know what happened in the past uh, in order to influence things that we like in the present. And you just sometimes have to sit with the fact that these things are unknowable and um, that's hard for people. It's hard for me. It's hard writing a piece to admit that you don't know, but it's also sometimes the only intellectually and morally honest way to approach a subject. So that, there you have it. The definitive answer on Stanley, it is unknowable. Uh, yeah, and, and we must be content with ambiguities within the art that we like. Um Abraham, thank you so much for, for coming on. Uh, the book is True Believer, The Rise and Fall of Stan Lee. Where can folks find it? Uh, easiest way is to go to your one-stop shop for all Abraham Reisman na- needs, which is abrahamreisman.com. Uh, it's R-I-E-S-M-A-N. Great. And books available wherever books are sold. It came out last week. Uh, and are you doing any events promotion for this kind of thing? Um, that's a great question. It's COVID. So not doing a whole lot of in-store book events these days. Follow you on Twitter. See what happens. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Yeah. Twitter.com slash Abraham Joseph. 
All right. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. And I, I will want to hear why all of Stanley's stuff is in Wyoming at a later time. <laughs> <laughs> Some other time. Yeah, it's in the book. Everybody's got to buy it. There you go. It this is, was yeah. Thank you so much to Abe for coming on. The book is True Believer, The Rise and Fall of Stan Lee. It is available wherever books are sold. Thank you to JT Fails for our theme song. And thank you for listening. I really appreciate it.